Good day, everybody. Welcome back to the Penn State Football Podcast as the Nittany Lions prepare for Rutgers. And this is not going to be a Rutgers-based podcast this week, no matter what James Franklin asks for and wants. And frankly, I'm okay with that. Sam Freeman from the Citizens Voice joins me, Donnie Collins. Sam, surprised by the big news coming Sunday that, that Mike Yersich lost his job. Well, it's it, it felt like the the writing was on the wall a little bit for for his future in Happy Valley, but I, I am surprised that the decision came mid season. Um, I think that's a uh, especially so late in the season. You know, this wasn't mid season with with half a year to play. This was mid season with two weeks left. You know, I, I think the timing of this is is maybe more surprising than the actual move itself, especially considering you know the ultimate result. And the, and the way the team performed against Michigan last week. Yeah, I, I think I am in the same boat. I didn't think James was going to fire him, especially midseason. He's never done that. Uh, he, even you know the last two guys he fired, one was John Donovan, and that happened right after the regular season ended. And the Kirk Shiraka thing in 2021 to bring Yurcich in, that happened right after the bowl game. That seems kind of an odd timing thing, but I think it, it had to do with, hey, Yursich is available. We got to go get him. We got to go get him right now. And that's what James did. And it seemed like a really bold move at the time, that kind of move that's going to put you over the top. And it it never did. And, and that kind of leads me to even more than the performance of Yursich, which I, I think we'd both agree. It was up and down. It, it, was, it wasn't working uh, with Mike. And I, and I think me personally, I, you've met him. You've talked to him. I, I never thought this this is a guy who was a, a fit for this staff. It, 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 Personality-wise, these guys are outgoing people, top to bottom, James, all of his assistants, outgoing people. I think Mike's more reserved. I think he's a lot more reserved. I don't know how he helped on the recruiting trail in that regard. And when James starts mentioning some things over and over again in press conferences, like collaborative efforts, like backing of the team and the staff, uh, and, and definitely – we want people per pe- people, people, I guess, is the word to to use. I mean, it's a relationships business. And I think they were concerned about the relationships with Yurcich going forward. And and look, you know, you go back and look at his history. The only place he was ever at for a while was Oklahoma State. And he was having a lot of big time results there. But he ended up getting fired from that job. And it seemed odd. But, you know, Ohio State, one year, Texas, one year. Penn State, he got almost three. And I'm not saying any of that's a bad thing. I mean, everybody's their own person. You don't have to be any certain type of person to be a success. But I didn't think that Mike was necessarily the kind of guy that James usually brings in. But but James touted the relationship, touted the results. And I, th- I think that is what leads me to believe here that that this is going to not reflect as great on James if if the next hire doesn't work. Oh, yeah. And I especially think that whether right or wrong, how, how things reflect on, you know, James or, or the program or, or certain staff members or players or whatever it may be comes from the court of public opinion. And, you know, Yursich was was touted as, like as you said, you know, the sort of the bridging that gap between, you know, the offensive firepower of Ohio State, you know, and then, of course, Michigan as, as they sort of arose. You know, I think this marks five offensive coordinators that have came and went under James. And as, as you said, for a multitude of different reasons, I mean, some getting promotions, some being released from their, their duties. I, I, I do think this, this next hire is sort of the, you know, the, the, this is, this is key for James. I hesitate to say it will sort of define his, his tenure at Penn state because he could, he could easily stay coaching for another 20 years. He could, 
you know, th- this could this could just be the, the start of something new. But, um, you know, you, you have a, a, a massive talent at quarterback in Drew Aller. You have highly touted quarterbacks coming in behind him in in Bo and, and, and Jackson Smolik and everything like that. Um, you know, Penn State is is entering this this expanded Big Ten. The stakes get higher. I, I think that, that this hire might be the most important one that, that James had to make to this point. And it'll be really interesting to see which way he goes, uh, especially because it, it, you know, it came mid season. He, he said that the, you know, I, I think he said Monday that their timeline is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, that, that his ideal timeline is getting a coach in before the bowl game, like they did with Manny Diaz. You know, it'll be interesting to see if they're able to do that or not. You know, I, I, I agree. I think that this is a very important it's a very important hiring process for Franklin, especially given, you know, the, the expectations that Yurcich brought in, and sort of, you know, how how the, how the team maybe met the recent expectations. You know, I, I, a presumed ten and two is still not a bad season, as we've been saying all all, all year. We've been saying ten and two is not a bad season, but I think people thought Yurcich was going to come in and, and sort of heighten that ceiling. Yeah, and he didn't, and and I. I've thought a lot about the about this the last couple of days. Why didn't he? Personality, whatever. Ignoring the head coach, which I think James kind of insinuated he did with some of the <laughs> some of the play calls. And, and insinuating might be too weak a word there. Actually, I think he outright said that he got ignored on some uh, you know some wishes that he had for the offense uh, this season. But ignore all of that. He's had success. You know, he got Mason Rudolph to the NFL. He. He's, he had some great offense, historic offenses at Oklahoma State and really set the tone there for, for Mike Gundy and that staff moving forward uh, with with what they do. Yeah, I, I look at it, though, like th- this should have worked. And, you know, he had pieces and I have my theories as to why it didn't. And I think it really starts with the core of what his job was, was developing quarterbacks. Did he appreciably get Clifford from one level to the next? And I don't know that I could argue that he did. I I think Clifford was a really good quarterback. And I think we're seeing this year, Clifford was way better than people ever gave him credit for. And this is, (laughs) this was Sean Clifford vindication season. And, and, and I, if if you told me this would be Sean Clifford vindication season in, in August, then I would have told Penn state fans were going to be sorely disappointed with their results against Michigan (laughs) and Ohio state. But yeah, I, I think when you look at, as a whole, what Yersich did, he had two seasons of Clifford. He was a turnover-prone quarterback who made mistakes in big moments when Yersich got there. And although the numbers improved a little bit, the turnover-prone big moment, Sean Clifford, was what ultimately did them in and, and some big games under Yersich. Uh, and I don't believe they think Drew Aller uh, developed to the rate that that uh, they believed he would. So I, I think this was a, a move to develop the quarterback, whether it's Aller or whether it's the next couple of guys, because it's either a, a hell of a coincidence or a sign that James did the right thing, but they immediately got a quarterback prospect. And I, I never talk about recruits. I leave that to those guys who just do that all the time for a living. They know all these kids. And and the reason I never talk about recruits is simply that they can leave whenever they want until they sign their names. So I'll, I'll be more than happy once the letter of intent is signed to talk about all these recruits as we do every year in December and in February, but I'm not going to talk about a recruit committing, but I will say a recruit committed pretty good prospect out of Colorado and he's a quarterback. So 
obviously it didn't matter and maybe was a plus arguably that Jurcic wasn't around. So I, I think it does come down to quarterback development with him. And, and usually it does with offensive coordinators, but, but I, you know, I don't know how much the receivers not being great this year. I, I think, I think it was certainly a factor for Mike, but I'm not sure how much that held him back. I think this comes down to the, to the fact that what James said on Saturday was right. And, and I, and I told the guy sitting next to me at the games, Frank Bodani from the York daily record, a great guy. I said to him first play of the game, run your best pass play here, get yourself six, seven yards, get yourself guaranteed yardage. And they didn't throw, they, they ran the ball, but they ran the ball 19 out of 22 times on first down in that game. They, they were, they were very predictable against Ohio state and Michigan. And those plays, those easy six, seven yards, you, when did they ever have that play? They didn't, they didn't have it. It was, and I don't know if they had it last year. I think they had it with Dotson, but that's because of Dotson. Dotson was that kind of guy who you just throw it to him and it's, it's five yards, but you have to be able to scheme that a little bit too. And I don't think Yersich did it. And if James is right and James said, you know, we asked for those plays and didn't get them. What, what was the upshot there for Yersich? <laughs> I don't get it. I, you know, so I, I don't know why this failed, but it's clear that it was a it was a massive failure because you don't you know you normally see these moves happen and they kind of you know coaches try to sweep them under the rug. James is more than happy to talk about this one. So I, I think Penn State kind of okay seeing him go. I didn't hear any players say, you know, I you know we're we're really gonna miss him. We, we take responsibility for this. If we played better, the, the poor guy wouldn't have lost his job. But I think on paper this should have worked, and they failed miserably. And I am not one to ever say that, the, that a coach should be fired. I will never print that. I will not. But I will say after the fact, when they should have been fired, this guy should have been fired a while ago. You, you touching on the quarterback development aspect of things. That was sort of his. That was his claim to fame coming in. Yeah. You know that that's that's what made this such a you know a necessary in in scare quotes aggressive move for Penn State, especially knowing that Clifford had sort of stagnated and, you know, a very good quarterback. And they knew that obviously in, in the, in the program, but, you know, he had sort of stagnated in his development, you know, obviously Drew Aller has, has sort of this limitless potential, you know, he, the, the number one quarterback in, in the class coming in and everything. And that, you know, that, that was, that was your guy. Um, you know, that's, that's been, been talked about ad nauseum. It feels like that, you know, Aller and your were, you know, sort of linked at the head. And as you said, I, I don't know that, you know, Drew certainly hasn't played poorly this year. I, I don't think you could reasonably make that case. But at the same time, you know, you, you look at Drew's performance and I don't think it matches what our expectations were. And in fairness, expectations are, you know, sort of based on hypotheticals and their projections. And, you know, you can never be fully correct with your expectations. And so maybe they were a little bit lofty and unfair. But, I mean, this was a guy that, that people were expecting to elevate this team. And and, and I think you're right that, that this didn't happen. It's, it's sort of Drew's development to this point has been a little bit more mundane. It's a little, been a little bit more pedestrian. You know, I, I, I don't think he's on the wrong path, but – you know, if, if you have an offensive coordinator who's who's touted as a as a you know quarterback whisperer and and he he's you know he's going to take your program to to the next level with with a, with a star quarterback and everything like that, you know, I I, I just didn't see it, and, and I I don't think that that anybody did. I, I I don't know that if you asked Mike that that he would be super happy with with how the season has gone, and and certainly I mean you heard you heard James's 
James's comments on Monday, he's he's definitely not happy with with how the the season has gone offensively. If you you ever watch The Office, you you an Office fan? Because yes, you said, I you said something about Aller earlier, and I think it it's it's interesting because they had when they did the. The, the episode, if anyone's ever seen it, when when Michael made the commercial and, and the slogan for Dunder Mifflin was limitless paper in a paperless world. And I and I and I th- and when you said limitless potential on Aller, I thought, yeah, limitless quarterbacks and a quarterbackless offense. They in the big games, the quarterback was a non-factor. And I looked this up at, at I, I tweeted it. And you might have seen it. it You're probably covering a field hockey game as, as you always are lately. <laughs> But I, I tweeted this and Aller's stats in the two games against Ohio State and Michigan were the about the craziest thing I've ever seen. Two touchdowns, no interceptions, averaging about 100 passing yards a game, 43% completion rate. They've told him over and over again, protect the football, protect the football. And he's doing that. No interceptions. He's doing that. This That was something that they had preached. But he really wasn't throwing the ball to anybody especially on Saturday, that was a, and I, I think it's fair to say sophomore, true freshman, high school kid, whatever. He was bad on Saturday. He was, that was as bad an effort from a quarterback and he knew it. You know, they're just a different team against those two teams. It makes me wonder, you know, what are you looking for? Yursich was the guy who did exactly what James wanted. That was, he was the, he was the quintessential James Franklin style of, of offensive coordinator and it didn't work. And it's not because he didn't have the quarterback. And it's not because he didn't have the running game. And it's not because he didn't have the offensive line, because I think he had the offensive line this year. Uh, and he had some tight ends and, and, and receive. I, you know, there are teams out there a lot worse off at wideout than Penn State is. So <laughs> I, I think it's it's fair to say Yurcich was a failure. But I also think it's sa- safe to say James's offensive philosophy here isn't working. What does he have to do to get to the level that he can compete with Ohio State and Michigan when yeah, it, it's it's not really clear what the what the vision is for what the offense can be. I other than dominant, but you know, it's <laughs> how do you get to that level? I I I don't know with what they're doing is clearly not working, not scaring anybody. It's it's clearly something that can be game planned by the better coaches, and I don't know where they go from here. Do they do they try to tweak it? Tweak what they've always done for the last seven, eight seasons since, since 2016, you know, maybe get a little bit better in areas. Do they bring in somebody purely to, who who could develop the quarterback and call some plays? Does James take over some play calling? It doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Or do they just scrap it and find something new? I, I, I know what I would do. I would, I would just try to tweak what they have, but I don't know that, that that's going to be enough Outside of one possibility, and we'll talk possibilities who could, who could take this job in a minute, but but outside of one possibility, I, I I think they they need to appease the fans in this one. They need to convince fans, convince donors, convince parents, dare I say it, that the next guy is a better guy to lead this offense, and here's why. But I don't know what that pitch is from James Franklin right now because he made that pitch three years ago, and now he's walking it back pretty hard. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right about, you know, th- this this sort of being an inflection point for for the offense. Um, you know, you, you split the offense into pass and run. You know, the, the, the two core pieces of, of of the offense, and I I think that the the needs of those two units are in different places. Um, if if you look at what what the issues have been with the run game this season, it doesn't feel like you know Nick and Katron have development issues. 
it feels like their their talent and, and it's it's because running backs and, and quarterbacks sort of develop differently but it, it feels like their their talent hasn't been you Maximized. know capitalized on yeah it, exactly it, it hasn't felt like it's been it's been correctly employed um you know we've talked about nick's struggles this year we've talked about you know the the, the splits and everything like that and 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 so so clearly something's not working in the run game but they have two you know NFL caliber running backs, you know, by, by the time those two leave, they will be playing on Sundays, um, you know, just, just purely based on talent. But then you look at the quarterback and, and Drew's, as you said, he's a first year starter, a sophomore, 19, you know, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, when you look around the college football landscape, you know, young quarterbacks are propelling teams into, you know, into in, in, in title contenders. Um, and and they have a guy who's who's been expected to to you know sort of jump into that upper echelon of quarterback, and they they need somebody who can harness that. Um, and I, I think those are two different things. With in, in in regard to Nick and Katron, feel like they're there and they're just waiting to to explode. And it feels like Drew has has shown us that that he's fully capable of of taking a ne- next step, as you said, pointing to to the way that he takes care of the ball against those big teams in Ohio state and Michigan, but, but didn't really add anything necessarily to the game. He, he didn't take away, which I think that, as you said, you know, comparing to, you know, sort of past offensive performances by these teams against Ohio state and Michigan, you know, not taking away from the offense is, is an important thing to focus on. Um, but I, I it didn't feel like drew added anything. And I, I know that, you know, you know, but we will. We, I'm sure we will go deep into the Michigan game. Um, but you know, I, I know that the receivers didn't seem to make any, you know, find any separation on the field at any point. You know, Drew would, would Drew had some had some throws behind receivers and stuff like that. But you know, they they it, it, nobody nobody could could get open. It felt like, and it, nothing in the passing game seems to work. And I, I don't know if that's a, you know, it's a timing issue with Drew. I don't know if it's a, a quality issue with the receivers. I don't know if it's a development thing, but there's a lot more on the passing side. I feel like for them to sort of figure out and and, and some some opportunities to shape a, a new identity passing wise. This coordinator hire is critical. It's great to have a top defense. If you can't score points, you know it, it's it's not ever going to come together. And they didn't move the ball well, and as a result, Ohio State Michigan sort of made them look like the you know, the, the middle child of the big 10. Which is what they are. I thought against Michigan, my, I think my big knock on Yurcich, I thought Sharon Moore outcoached Mike in a, in a major way. I mean, he, he figured out, Hey, you know, Michigan was not going to be able to stop the Penn state pass rush. They were putting JJ McCarthy in some, some dangerous spots. Uh, it was, the, the turnover seemed imminent. The, the, the game changing turnover, the Penn state always either gets or seems close to getting, and he just decided we're going we're gonna to put extra linemen on the field, do what Illinois did a couple of years ago, and essentially, and run the ball every down and see where, see where it gets us. And it got them to the to the winner's circle, of course, because they could run the ball really well. They have a, a big offensive line. And I wonder, why didn't Penn State do something similar? Yeah, why don't you adjust in that way? I mean, I, I thought the running game against Michigan was tremendous. I, I, I thought Katron was finding pretty consistent running lanes. Uh, he had a couple of big carries. Nick was really good, I thought, uh, especially early on. But they found something between the tackles. You look back at the Ohio State game, 
And they ran the ball, I think, those two 18 times. I think they ran it 19 times on designed runs in the game. It was it was some kind of criminally low number. And the first thing James says in the in the post-game press conference was, we didn't run the ball enough. If I wonder if he thinks I didn't run the ball enough. And I, I certainly think, and I, I think you could that's a game where if Drew doesn't have it, why is Drew throwing 20-some passes? J.J. McCarthy, there's no business in a one-score <laughs> game. That's really a one-score game the whole way because the quorum touchdown at the end against a really demoralized defense, and they threw some key blocks. Michigan did a good job on that. Again, one-score game the whole way. There's no occasion for Drew, who had nothing, to throw 20-some passes and J.J. McCarthy to throw eight. That's getting out coached. There's no other way to, to say that. It looked bad. It looked bad that without their head coach on the sideline. And I and I put no stock in Harbaugh being on the sideline or not for Michigan. I, I I I thought that was going to play no factor in the game, and I don't think it did. But Michigan's assistant coaches figured out pretty quick how to adjust so they could win the game. Penn State never does that, it, especially on offense. It hasn't done. They haven't done it in years. That leads me to the next point of conversation when I say they haven't done it in years. There's some names out there that I think everybody's throwing around, and and, and look, we're we're throwing names around, and nobody really knows what James is thinking, what James might want to do, who's on the the quote-unquote James Franklin assistant coach potential hire list. If you were James Franklin, if you're making this hire for Penn State, Sam, who are you looking at here? Well, I, I know that the quarterback thing maybe didn't work under Yursich, Um, But to me, I, I think that you have to sort of find a way to to elevate Drew Aller. As I said, I, I, Nick and Catron feel like they're already there. They just need to be put in positions where they can they can succeed. Um, I do think Drew needs a little bit more attention. Somebody needs to be able to get to Drew and 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 you know either open up the playbook for him or you know it, it engage him different mentally. You know I I don't know what what it is, but I I, I think that it needs to be a quarterback focused hire. Um, one name that I I've seen thrown around that you know I, I think is I, I think is no longer on the table. Um, so perhaps it's it's not even worth mentioning, but is I, I saw a lot of people throwing Joe Brady around. Um, he's uh, he's currently the the uh, the acting offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills after the Bills just fired their offensive coordinator. So that feels it feels unlikely that that especially on the timeline that 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 James has talked about that that uh, you know Br- Brady would would leave the NFL in what could be a a job interview style situation for him. Uh, with the bills, but you know, he was, it makes sense why he was, he was thrown around on online so much is you know, he he was the offensive coordinator at LSU when you know, he was the, uh, the passing game coordinator, excuse me, yeah. at LSU when, when Joe Burrow had his explosion, you know, finding a way to harness a quarterback and, and, you know, turn him into a, a, a quarterback that can, that can take you far. Um, so, so as I said, I don't think Brady's going to end up being somebody who's even available for, for, for phone calls, but that's the type of coordinator that I think that they, they need to go out and get. I think the run game is easier to fix. I think it comes down to play calling. I think it comes down, it comes down to scheme. I think the quarterback is where they need to put a lot of this attention, the quarterback and the receivers, the passing game in general. Brady was also the receivers coach at LSU. Yes. And they had Justin Jefferson and Jamar chase that season. So I had, crossed out Joe Brady with a pencil on this one. But the more I think about it, I mean, if, if things keep going badly for Buffalo, if they don't make the playoffs, they could make a coaching change there. I I really believe that. I'm not sure he's definitely going to be the guy, but the, you mentioned earlier the James timeline for the hire. I, I think that kind of is what precludes Brady. I mean, you have to, number one, love him 
he's got to be number one with a bullet to not get him in here before January to me. Uh, and, and I know Yersich got in in January, but I, I think they've seen the benefit of having somebody around for the bowl game, seeing how they, 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 they run things, how they do the meetings, how they, how they run a practice, getting used to the players, being able to evaluate the players. I think that was huge with Manny Diaz. Although I certainly don't think it's a prerequisite for the job. I think they would love to have somebody come in and be able to do it. So that leaves you with what guys who are number one on the street, number two, who aren't highly situated NFL assistant coaches. I mean, if Joe Brady was still the quarterback's coach there, I think you might be able to do that. I I think this does change the Brady thing a little bit. Or you have college coaches who won't be playing in a bowl game or who would leave their program to come to Penn State and, and, and run the offense. So I don't think this has mattered so much to James as it did to Joe Paterno. And what mattered to Joe Paterno matters to fans still. So I, I get that. But the Penn State connection, I, I don't know that that matters so much to James. So I, this could be an off-the-beaten-path kind of guy. I've heard a lot of names, quite frankly. But the, the one that stands out to me, and I think it checks every box, and I think Penn State has to – has to is a strong word. But I think Penn State will at least very strongly consider Joe Moorhead bringing him back. He was the guy, one of the two guys that James hired for the job that worked. Uh, He and Ricky Ronnie both took head coaching positions. Joe is universally beloved in state college. I I think this hire being popular among fans is important. Age-wise, he's a guy who could take that job and hold it for a while. And he's got a lot of, a lot lot invested in the bank with with the fan base. And you could sell him on Drew Aller. You could sell him on the Allers. You could sell him on Bo Perbula. Bro, you know, he he made a very similar quarterback to Bo Perbula, a legend at, at, at Penn State, and, and Trace McSorley. You could sell him to recruits. You could sell the offense that he runs. What Joe did, very, very simple stuff. So I, I think he's probably my first call if I'm James. I don't know if that's the way he's going to go. I think he's got somebody in mind. I don't know if we're ever going to know who that somebody is unless it's the guy they hire. But I, I think the first guy I'm going to is, is Moorhead because I just think he's the best guy they've had doesn't involve changing the offense too much. And he's the, he's a guy who the fans are not going to harass you over. And I, I think James needs a goodwill move here. Oh, I, I, I think that it's, it's, it's almost just as important to generate excitement around the program with this hire um, as it is that, I mean, obviously number one is, is make the correct hire <laughs> when, when it comes to results, but you need to be able to sell people on this coming in you know i i I do think some of the reaction to the michigan game was you know i I don't know what penn state showed you to think that they were going to go in and win that game um but the the reaction is still what it is and and if you're if you're selling the fan base and and the college football world as a whole that you know firing mike yersich and getting a new guy in is 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 going to make the difference you gotta you gotta bring somebody in who, who who looks the part he also looks like Santa Claus, and we're and we're approaching <laughs> December, so it's all festive. It's I, I, I think it'd be great to to bring Joe Moorhead back, a great guy, uh, and head coach at Akron. They're struggling a little bit. I'm not sure that's the kind of job he wants to have long term. I think he'd fit in really nicely with with Penn State, but certainly you know Josh Gaddis, uh, same kind of deal there. He's he's been at Michigan and Maryland. Been, he's coached at Penn State. A lot of different guys here. I think could uh could fit the bill. Maybe not Cliff Kingsbury, like I've seen thrown out there by, by certain people, <laughs> but I think that would be a, a really bold move by James and not one. I would actually write a scathing column about. So I hope you do it. 
All right, we'll, we'll, we'll be back to talk more about the Michigan game after the break. Sam, Penn State, of course, another loss to Michigan on Saturday, 24 to 15. And I want to talk about some aspects of that game that I think needed to be addressed. But after the game was quite the scene in the in the tunnel as as players and, and coaches walk back, even through the tunnel. You've been there, you've seen like how they you know, players go through go through the tunnel and then the, and they don't disappear into the bat cave. They go through another kind of walkway through to the uh to the blocker room and it's kind of all done up in lights and these these very it's neat it looks like a dance club in there signs and and everything with you know all illuminated neon stuff and they, there are some people who who get to line that walkway and in good times hey good yeah, high fives and pats on the back hey coach great job and it wasn't that way this time and you know we saw the video vega Ioani got into it with a with a fan i'm not sure it was a student or if it was a and i don't want to say an adult fan because there's some students who are adults but uh basically yelling at frank when some things we can't repeat on a, a family podcast here and and vega defended him which i thought was yeah I, I thought was the right thing to do for for vega because you know you defend your coach in that situation and you know he it was I, I think I saw some comments that the, the kid was acting immaturely and trust me, he was not. So yeah, I, that, that is, that's a, that's a good kid that, that was just trying to defend his coach who's who really wants to win more than that fan does. But it was a, it was an interesting scene going back because you saw some of the videos and, and it was very quiet. And when I was walking down toward the, the media room, which is right in that area, very quiet, very subdued, almost an, an angry feeling about, but what happened in that game. So we, we saw all that. And then I wanted to bring up something LeVar Arrington said on his his radio show, the former great Penn State linebacker, because this I, I would have brought this up this week if he didn't steal my thunder. And next time I see LeVar, I'm gonna gonna <laughs> pat him on the back for for stealing my thunder because it's about time somebody did this. James Franklin, and I, and I get I'm getting a lot of James Franklin's gotta lose his job for this. How are you not taking James Franklin to task for this? James Franklin is he he's the guy to blame for everything that's going on here. And and look, the buck does stop with James. It should anyway. And hopefully it does because he does have his fingerprints on a lot of the problems with the offense. So that said, James is being judged basically in an unfair way here. And you know what LeVar said, and it's true, you criticize Franklin for never beating Michigan or Ohio State. But what's the next coach? Who, who are you bringing in that's going to beat Michigan or Ohio State? And we've talked about who the next guy is. You want Jimbo Fisher, Sam? At I, I Fifteen million would. a year. <laughs> no, I, who, who wants Jimbo Fisher at this point? Didn't work out. He's the highest paid coach in, in college football for a time, and it didn't work out. So you don't want Jimbo. Do you want to? Do you want to sell your soul to Urban Meyer? Bring him in for a couple of years. Let him run roughshod. See what he's going to do. Uh, he may, might win you a national championship. But I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear from Penn State fans who, oh no, you, you, we need somebody who's going to take it to the next level, I, you know, success with honor and all, because that that I also hear that side of it too. These these people want the Joe Paterno values kind of idea, but they also want to win every game. And Lavar pointed out, and this is going to be shocking to you, Sam, because I don't know how much I know you remember the Joe Paterno era. 
but I mean, I might whisper this so Penn State fans don't come and egg my house. They didn't win every game when Joe Paterno was the coach. They never beat Ohio State or Michigan. Never. It was the random years, just like what James is doing. But they always struggled with Michigan. Same story. They always lost in Ann Arbor. Couldn't beat Michigan. LeVar Arrington, and I didn't know this, he said he never beat Michigan. Never. But why Why is James not being able to beat him any different than Joe not being able to beat him? I, I can't figure this one out. And, and, and look, I, I think the criticism is, well, they've never gotten the, the program past where it was, past, you know, up to this championship level. But Joe didn't either, Joe, except for a five-year span in the 80s. Penn State has always been what Penn State is right now, on the cusp, but not there. That's just what it, that's just the, the reality of the situation. And I don't know that you fire James Franklin for I, I know that you don't fire James Franklin for going 10 and 2. That's ridiculous. But I don't know that you go down to the to the to the tunnel and scream curse words at him and, and challenge him in front with, with a six foot seven guy walking next to him either. That takes some <laughs> that takes some guts and it's completely incorrect. And 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 I I I just I wonder what the fan wants out of this whole set other than to win every game to win the national championship every year. Why is there this this belief that Penn State is below what Penn State's always been? Penn State is not. Penn State's maybe better than it's been in 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 long stretches. If they win ten games this year, it'll be five times in eight years. The last time they did that, you have to go back to that little stretch in the late 70s, early 80s, right before they started winning national championships. So history says they're on the cusp. They might be close. So why all this consternation, Sam? I don't get it. I mean, believe me, I don't I don't get it either. Um, you know, I, I I do think that, you know, the, the, the reaction has, has been predictable. Um you know, I, I, it's it's not surprising to me that this that this is this is people's uh, reaction to to another presumptive ten and two season. Um, but again, I, I go back to point me to the name. I mean, who who's the name that that you know is 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 not going to at best fare the same fair ten and two. Um, you know, you you bring up the fan shouting as as the. Um, you know, as 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 the team and, and the coaching staff and everything leaves the field, uh, number one, I, I all my money is on Vega in that hypothetical. <laughs> I don't scuffle. care who was yelling at um, <laughs> My money's on Vega. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but two, you know, and and you know, I'll, I'll give some grace to to the fan here is that you know the tunnel is positioned in the student section. Um, I can't imagine. You know, a, a lot of those students are in the correct frame of mind to have a a discussion about the the future of the team for a, a multitude of reasons. Um, but but at the same time, you know, I, 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 as you said, I, I don't know what people expect. I, I don't know how people entered this game going. You know, the way that this team is is structured in its current state. You know, I I don't know how how you you looked at it at their recent history just from this season and said, you know, I expect something different. You know, as you said, I, when I wrote my, my little op-ed a couple, a couple years ago about extending James Franklin, um, I did bring up Paterno's record, which, you know, earned me some fiery Twitter messages and DMs, but, but, but the fact that it is what it is. I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with that. My, my, my point wasn't to, you know, take shots at Paterno. 
I mean, he's he's uh, won as as many games as as you know you could want. You know, he's got the four hundred and nine wins, the the record, the success with honor, this, that, and the other thing. I get it, but again, it, college football was different. Um, I I think that that's part of why people romanticize that 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 time period. Um, you know, I I think that the the state of college football today is if you're not winning championships, if you're not winning uh, playoff games, you know, you're, you're a failure. Um, we sort of talked about this when we were talking about expansion um, and sort of what the playoff is doing to college football. And I, I think that, you know, the, the, the all encompassing phrase, the media plays a part in that in the sense of, you know, I, I think that, that the the current discourse around sports is, you know, discredit those ahead of you um, and put down those behind you. Um, you know, the the teams behind your team, whoever that team may be, you know, are, are nowhere near your level, and the teams ahead of you are are, you know, they're they're, they're not playing anybody, or it's just a fluke, or you know. It, 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 they, they just you know whatever it may be it's excuses it's excuses and the fact of the matter is not every team is is a is a playoff contender every year in fact it's very rare we talked about clemson a couple times this season I, I, they're 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 not they're not the same team that they were with trevor lawrence and deshaun watson they're just not um that that, that was an anomaly in their history you look at oklahoma they've been a powerhouse for as long as i've been alive and they have they have one championship and it was it was the well not one all time but recently they have one championship and it was before I was born. I, I I don't know what people expect. I think Franklin gets gets a bad rap. Frankly, you know he deserves criticism as you said. The buck is supposed to stop with the head coach. But I I, I don't know the the reaction to some of this feels out of control, and and I think Lavar is right. Frankly, it seems unhinged. It, it really does, and, and it seems unrealistic. You know, you know I, I think part of it is. You know, people like us, you know, we were the ones who thought, oh, Drew Aller could probably take him to another level this year. Well, that was unrealistic. Drew is a developing 19-year-old sophomore quarterback who had never started a game. It was unrealistic to think that that he was going to get them there. It was unrealistic to think that teams weren't going to try to take Katron Allen and Nick Singleton and minimize their impact in games. And it was unrealistic to think that the receivers were going to be, that, that someone was going to step up and and, and be great. And I, and I hear it all the time. Oh, they have a lot of highly regarded receivers. How, co- how come they couldn't develop one of them? Well, they did. Keandre is a really good receiver. Keandre Lambert Smith is very good. You know, Theo Johnson is a terrific tight end. He and Tyler Warren are going to be NFL guys. They have receivers. They just, they, they, they're not, they're not as good. They're not as good on offense. And it doesn't matter how good you are in defense when you're not as good on offense, because as every bit as good as as Penn State is on defense, Ohio State's right there too, and Michigan's certainly right there. Then they're better on offense. Now I get it. Michigan struggles a little bit at Beaver Stadium, and I think they were in this game. I, I don't think you know they, they were in the Ohio State game technically, but I think they were in the Michigan game. I, I think they could have that. That seemed like less of a a blowout to me than the Ohio State game did. Absolutely. Now I, I think I think Michigan is better than Ohio State, but I, I think that's the kind of the, the 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 playing at home against playing on the road factor kind of seeping in 
But I, I didn't think in either game that Penn State was the better team. Just, you know, they're, they're just getting held back by something. I, I thought they were the team that could have pulled the upset. And and that's really what they are in, in, in the series with these two teams. And, and, and again, Michigan's up. They're on a the little bit of this upswing the last three years. Now, who knows where Michigan is next year? Because Harbaugh might not be there. J.J. McCarthy might not be there. Corum. You know, there's a lot of good players that are leaving Michigan this year. So maybe now Penn State doesn't happen to play them next year. So that's <laughs> that's how that goes. But you know, maybe they'd be better than Michigan next year. But generally speaking, when you have these teams that are on these, the Alabamas, the Michigans, the Ohio States, the Georgias, they get this eight year run and then they kind of level off. And that's what the playoff is at the, the top four anyway in the playoff. It's. You get you get there and you have this run where you seem invincible, but 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 it ends. It ends eventually because other teams catch up. You get stagnant, whatever. But damn, Penn State fans think that they've been there, that they've had that eight year run. There is not. There was never an eight year. There was never one. There was never an eight year run, eight nine year run, ten year run where they were they were the absolute most dominant program in the country. Never mind the Big Ten. Never mind their division. And and I and I'm not saying it's wrong to want better. But it is wrong to expect better because you expect expectation means there's no excuse for not getting it. Wanting better. Yeah, let's go. Let's go pursue that goal. And I think they are. And I think they're closer. They're getting closer than they've than they've been. Not ever. But in the, I would say in the modern era of football in the last 30 plus years, it's dating back to the, that little run leading up to 1982 when they when they actually got past Georgia. So, yeah, I, I think. I don't think James is above criticism at all. I think there are some things you can criticize. I, I, I think, you know, the fact that, my, you know, he comes out and says, and I, and I don't want to bring up Yurcich again, but, you know, he, the fact that he says Yurcich was not running plays I want him to run, you got, you're wearing a headset, James. Get on it. Tell him he's done. Tell him you're taking over. Do something. Don't just let him do whatever he wants. Why not just take over, do something different? And James didn't do that. I, I think there's a lot of criticism for James for letting this thing go for, for a long time. And I think in-game decisions, fine, criticize him. The two-point conversion at the end of the game, I still don't understand. And he's been asked over and over again to explain it, and he's never satisfactorily done so. And he, he basically shrugs his shoulders and says, analytics, analytics. It's stupid, James. You took your game, your team out of the game. You, you, you took him away from a chance to win. And then, you know, says the other day something about, you know, you got to gotta just stick around for as long as you can. Well, the reason you couldn't on Saturday is because you go for two. If you make it, it's a seven-point game and you're still playing for the tie. So I don't understand it there. And I, I guess you, you could explain that to me because, analytics are a young man's game and evidently not mine evidently i'm too stupid to understand it but i i I think there's a lot of situations here where where james deserves credit for for doing some good things and a lot of things a lot of situations where he deserves blame especially in game and for making questionable decisions that don't work but i don't think you could criticize james for going 10 and 2 That, that 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 seems to be the they're capped. That's what they can do. Now, could they upset Ohio State once every 10 years? Yeah, but they did it. They have their once every 10 years. That's what 2016 <laughs> was. It wasn't the next step to being elite. It was it was the upset. That's that's really where they're at right now. And until they until Ohio State's through that eight, nine years where they're dominant and they're they're and, and I think signs are pointing a little bit to they're regressing toward that ever so slightly. So in the meantime, isn't 10 and two great? It, it, it is, except, you know, the, the two are Michigan and Ohio State. And and I, I 
pose this question to a fan. If it was 10 and two with a loss to Iowa and Michigan, was, would that be okay with you? You know what the guy said to me? No. So <laughs> it's not just about beating Ohio state, Michigan. It's the fact that you're a 10 and two team that's angering so many people. It really is. That's that. Explain the two point conversion yeah. thing to me though, Sam. <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. I, and, and James isn't going to explain it. And, and I, I don't know when we're going to get a chance off the record to, to chat with him about that one, because I want to know what the thinking behind that analytics is. Yeah. So believe me, I, I, I thought going for two down nine um, was a suboptimal decision to, to say the least. USC did it that same day. USC yeah, was down yeah. nine and did it. And guess what? They didn't get it. Every, <laughs> everybody who says, Oh, this is a great move. They're all, they've all lost the game. John Harbaugh, James, Lincoln Riley. They all try to explain it away in their post-game defeat press conference. But go ahead, Sam. Explain it to me. Explain it to I'll, the world. I'll give you my perspective on it, and I'll give you the the, the purported analytic perspective. So so people who are pro going for it, going for two, down nine, which I disagree with, say that if you miss it and you are now losing by nine, you go into the onside kick knowing that you need – Two more scores. Um, That's not an so, analytic. So That's common sense. That's math. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, you know, you, you kick the extra point. You, you go in knowing, you know, you need to score eight. You need to go for two the next time. I, I don't see what, what, what I, you know, I, I, to me, knowing what you need is is sort of a, a retroactive. I, I don't know. And and maybe, like you said, maybe there, there's something more to it that I'm just never going to understand. But it, it's also, it's also, you know, I, I didn't love going for two early, right? Like if, 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 if they're going to, it, let's say they were down eight at the end of the game and they went for two to make it a six point game. I understand that. It's certainly a risk, but now you're, you're playing for the idea of, you know, we're, we're going to win if we kick an extra point, but they went for two earlier it felt like they were chasing points in, in a way that, that wasn't really related to, well, I shouldn't say that because, you know, coaches are trying to win, but, you know, going, going for two down nine doesn't really seem like it's to me, it, it doesn't feel like the best way to go and win a game. That you know, I, I feel like you'd much rather be down eight and make it a, a sure one, one possession game. Yeah. I understood the first one a little bit. I, I don't know if I would have done it in, in the heat of the moment. I think I would have just sent my, because it's 14-9. Here's why I didn't care about it either way. It's 14-9. You're you're getting the ball back after after the break. Look at it that way. Hey, if we get the two and then they hold us to a field goal, which is probably the likely scenario, uh, the way their defense plays. Coming out of the break, we're at least tied. That's where you want to be. You know, the Drew Aller fumble there in the third quarter. Was it was a major play? There was two major moments in this game to me. The one was Drew Aller fumble, and the other one was not being able to score the touchdown when you had the first and goal from the three uh, to to kick when when you kicked the initial field goal. Yeah, I, I didn't mind the first one because I, I understood I understood there was a scenario where that made sense where where yeah. if that happens, then this happens, and we're we're right there. We're tied when we wouldn't have been. Okay, I get it. The last one. Let's make the argument that you get the two-point conversion. You make it. Let's say Aller scores somehow, and it's 24-17. But you still have to get the onside kick. Mm -hmm. So let's say Aller throws a bomb, and, and Keandre catches a touchdown. 
Now what do you do? You kick the extra point, right? You played for the tie. It, it's strange because I, I was driving down to the game and listening for all these reports on is Harbaugh going to coach or not or whatever. And I was like, in, in what way does this matter? And I thought to myself, if it's close late, it matters. And Penn State actually had a chance to put some pressure on Michigan. And, and the only way I think it really would have mattered with Harbaugh out, that, that they would have been able to take advantage of not having Harbaugh and, and force Michigan to make some decisions in, in the heat of the battle that maybe that these, these guys have never had to make before. And they didn't do it. <laughs> Why? You didn't, you didn't even put them in that spot. You know, you're not getting the ball back twice. First of all, there's one, it was 159 left or 157. I forget which one it is. So you go and you miss it. It's two possessions. You need to get you. That's what this tells you that someone's called it score transparency. And I think that's what it's actually called. And I, and I laugh like, yeah, the transparency was now you've lost and you know it. So at least I have those two minutes to go to the parking lot and get, get out and, and beat the traffic. That's what you've, that's all you've really accomplished there. But you know, you go for the two and don't make it. You now have, you know, Oh, now I know I need two possessions. Well, Oh crap. I'm not getting two possessions. That's really the reaction there. Isn't it? I mean, yeah. I, I, and, and I don't know how you defend it any other way. Other than to say, we just knew earlier that we were going to, we were going to lose. Part of it feels like, you know, the, the, the like you said, with the score transparency, the idea that, Oh, if, if you, if you're not, if you go for two down nine and you don't get it, that means you weren't going to get it when you're down two after scoring down eight, if that makes sense yeah. to me, like, I think that's the argument. And I don't think that that, I, I don't think scenarios are, 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 are that replicable. I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I do understand the argument to some extent of, of, you know, elsewhere that the analytics have a, have a, you know, have a place, you know, go for it on this fourth down because the win probability goes up or whatever it may be. But, you know, if, if they, 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 they didn't succeed on the two point conversion down nine, I don't think that means if they kicked that extra point and then, had that hypothetical Keandre Lambert Smith touchdown that they were not going to get the two point conversion to tie the game later. Exactly. It could, it could, but I don't think it's because they missed that two point conversion that that's the case. If they're not going to get the two point conversion, it's because they stink, which, which really have <laughs> been on, on, on two point conversions all season. But the, and the reason I harp on it so much is it, it goes to the, the, the fan criticism that I think is fair is that they don't manage the big games. Well, there's just a lot of instances in games especially the big ones where they don't make any sense what they're doing. And I think that was an obvious one to a lot of fans because the old way to do it was with the two point conversion, you always wait until you have to, once you need to do it to tie the game or you can make the decision. Well, you know, we're, we, we need to try to win it here and, and, and avoid overtime, but that's when you do it. You don't just do it at random instances to, to, to get it done or because that's, that's an analytic and then don't explain it. Outside of well, we, we were you know points are going to be tough to come by. Well, of course they're tough to come by. That's obvious. You've you've scored twenty seven points in two games against Ohio State and Michigan. Of course points are hard to come by, but it's not because you're not hitting enough two point conversions, James. Come on, we we all know this. It's because you're not scoring enough of the the, the, the things that lead to the two point conversions. And I yeah, I just I, I thought there was a, a real case to be made for extending that game, putting some pressure on Michigan, 
and and see where it goes because everyone in the in the place figured you lost the game. But don't look stupid losing the game. And I, I really thought that that was pretty stupid. And then I see everybody doing it. You know, Ohio, Ohio, excuse me, USC did it. Uh, somebody sent me a video. Hey, here's John Harbaugh explaining it. Uh, Learn something here. It, it made no sense then. So I don't know. I, I think it's a problem for Penn State. I, I really do. I, I think that you don't come out of these games feeling like they coached him great. What, you know, and, there, and I think there's some games where they have, where I think that they they coach better than they got credit for. I've given them A's and B's in big games and on my report card, and people are like, oh, they didn't do this well, they didn't do that well. But you're not going to do everything well every time you play a really good team. I, I, th- I think people are just assuming there's going to be these games you dominate uh, but you don't get those against Ohio State and, and Michigan and and Iowa when Iowa is really good. They, they they force you into mistakes. So you're right. James gets a, a bad rap. I, I think there's a lot of reasons for it. And I probably have said that a million times on this podcast. And I don't want to rehash the reasons. But I, I, I do think that to a degree, you have to explain some of this stuff better. So fans understand why you're doing it. But I don't know if he's going to explain that one away. And and. and I don't know if he's going to explain why you don't run the ball more when you want to run the ball more and you don't have easy passes written into the game plan when you want easy passes written into the game plan and then you blame a guy and fire him. And and, and look, I, and I think Mike Yersich had to go, but James has to understand why that looks and, – and the timing of this was nothing short of immaculate because nobody asked him about Michigan on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> his press conference <laughs> did not involve the Michigan loss. There's there's a good bit of PR to that when you know you're going to make that move anyway. But I, I don't know. I, I think he didn't come out of this looking great to me. And, and I'm not saying he should be fired. I'm saying quite the opposite. I think he's still the guy who can get him there. Uh, but I think he put the microscope firmly on himself in the next hire. And, and, and frankly, how how they respond in the next two weeks. I think it's I think it's really important for Penn State to finish this season strong. I got a text uh after the game from one of my best friends went to Pitt at the same time that, that I went to Penn State and he was asking, you know, when when you were attending as a fan, you know, as a student, and then when you were attending, you know, as as working, you know, when when you were covering the team, was it ever boring that, you know, there's only two games on the schedule that matter. It's Ohio State, Michigan. He said, putting aside, you know, the recent record, he said, I'm, I'm not, he's like, he said, Pitt's about to be two and eight. You know, it's, it's losing to Ohio State, Michigan isn't a, isn't a death sentence, but, you know, is it boring to look at a schedule and see that there's only two games that matter? And I think that's, you know, he will, you know, like I said, I, I'm not taking a shot at my friend. I'm pointing out that that's, that is how the deck has been stacked mm-hmm. by, by fans of the program by you know analysts by and i you know i i just think that that's it's not a great way to consume college football and that was my answer you know it was you know the college football is a fun sport you know the whole season is fun you know whether whether you're watching as a fan or whether you're covering it for, like, as a professional job you know the, the sport is exciting you know anything can happen on any given weekend and I, I don't know. I, I, it goes back to our, our our long conversations about expectations and stuff. While those two games are sort of the the only games that matter on a, on a playoff level, I don't think that you discount the ten wins because you have two losses to two top five teams. I think it's a, it's a tough way to, and I think a lot of Penn State fans right now are doing that. My biggest criticism of James is this, and 
I, I don't know that it's entirely his fault, but this is what it is. And it dates back to that. The one moment I think he'd take back is that elite speech after the 2018 game when Penn State lost to Ohio. I, I think he'd take that back in a heartbeat. But ever since then, I think that was really the moment that I've noticed this, that the losses mean more to Penn State fans than the wins do. You can't have that. You have to have it. You have to get back to a scenario where the wins matter to people. And it, it can't, it can't just be this team or that. If you go two and 10 and only beat Ohio state and Michigan, are you happy? <laughs> really? Exactly. It, 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 and no, and the, the, the answer better be no. So the, if, if the answer is no in that case, the answer then better be, yeah, we're, we're thrilled with 10 and two, even though, even if those two losses come against those two teams. And, and I, and I think that that really is my, my knock on him. He put them in this position where, you know, you know we're going to be elite. We got, we're going to work to that. We're going to do this, that, and the other thing. And fans here elite and think, Oh, we're going to, we're going to dominate. And it just, it's never gotten there. And fans are impatient. Fans don't care about the excuses, the reasons, anything. They just want it done. They pay the, they pay the ticket money. They arrange their entire week around watching these games. And damn it, they want to win the game. And a lot of fans don't know about football. And I'm not saying there's a lot of really good ones out there who do, but a lot of people are just, they're fans of the uniform. They're fans of the idea that this team is going to get there someday. If, if you're not willing to go through some some tough times and the, the good times don't really mean anything, that's that's kind of the view I have on it. And I I, I think Penn State's gone through a lot of, what they can, what fans consider tough times that really are first world problems. And they're not really tough times. Oh, we haven't beaten Ohio state since 2016 when we won the, the damn championship and played in the Rose bowl. You know, we, we've been to the, we've only won the Rose bowl once in the last couple of years. It, it's stupid stuff like that, 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 that makes them. And, and, and I don't think any of the Penn state criticism that has permeated into the national media comes from Michigan comes from Ohio State fans, comes from anybody else in the conference. It comes from Penn State fans. And, th- and that's really the the expectation that that they've set for a, for a program that's not quite there yet, and they can't understand why. It, but but it takes time. And I, I think right now, and I know I'm, I sound like I'm making a lot of excuses for James Franklin. I, I, I think his, I think he's got to get it done soon or else you, you start thinking about some other options if you're Pat Kraft moving forward, especially since you've fired another offensive coordinator. Texas A&M fires Jimbo Fisher because they're stuck in neutral. I don't think Penn State's stuck in neutral. I think they're stuck in a traffic jam. And that's quite a bit different. And sometimes you got to wait for the, the pack to come back to you before you could blow past them. And, and I don't think Michigan is ready for that yet. I think Ohio State might be trending toward that. Who knows with Michigan next year? But I think Penn State's getting better. I think the the, the potential is there for them to be a, a pretty good team over the next couple of years. Now, I've I, and I've been on the record here. Next year is not going to be easy, but it's not impossible either. Sam, we're out of time. Oh, my God. I just looked up at the, at the time. I was wondering why you weren't talking. <laughs> Sam, thanks so much for joining us. This Thank you very much for having me. All right. We'll try to do it again next week. We'll try to tighten it up, do better. <laughs> and we'll have Rutgers to talk about. It'll be great. Thanks for joining us on the Penn Stated Podcast. We'll talk to you after Rutgers. <laughs>